You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. So you'd gone from being in, in in Russia at one point and having this very unique, I'm sure, fulfilling and challenging time where your life was full and purposeful, and you're raising your family. And now here you are back in the states, and everything seems to be falling apart. We were in a small group, and that a small group at your church. Small group at church. Okay. Yep. And um, tried to reach out there, um, and that was uh, increasingly disappointing because they were not able to. I, I was in despair, and. No one could handle the depth of my pain, and so they didn't want to hear it. They would try to fix it. They would try to laugh it off. They would try to minimize it, um, give me a verse, tell me things like, oh, Melinda, everybody goes through this. You'll be fine. So I felt completely misunderstood, not comforted in any way. Um, further rejected, abandoned, alone. Um, And I think the worst thing was I was also serving in this church. One Sunday uh, when I was at church, and it was right in the middle of worship, and uh, the band was on stage, and the fog machine is going, and it's high energy, and the PowerPoints are flashing, and I'm in the midst of these 3,500 people feeling utterly alone and despairing, and I just broke down. That portion of Melinda's story comes from our podcast that we record here at Ridgewood Church called Life Support in conjunction with KTIS Radio and Faith Radio Network. The idea is to help Jesus come and show himself in times of trial and help people to understand that there's hope there. But her pain was real and her story, if you heard the whole thing, is pretty gut-wrenching and that's the reality of the world we live in. And there are a lot of questions hanging out there regarding God and this world that we experience. And so we embark today on a series called God, Do You Care? And we're going to deal with difficult topics like injustice, suffering, evil, God's inaccessibility to some, and more. The goal, though, is to help you discover the deep and wonderful majesty of God that shows itself even in life's darkest places. And so today we begin with this question, and I decided to start with an easy one. God, if you care, why do you allow evil in the world? If you care, why is there evil? And here's the answer to the question, and we're going to unpack this as we go. God allows evil to exist for his own glory. Now, it seems like a long way from the evil and the suffering and the things that we experience on this earth all the way to the glory of God. The two don't seem to go together. They don't seem 
to make sense. So this morning, I hope I can provide a pathway from, from evil to the glory of God that you'll understand in depth and it will comfort you this morning. In theological terms, the question that we're asking is a concept called theodicy. And that word is made up of two Greek words. One is theos for God, and one is dikaio for justification. And the idea is justifying God in the midst of evil. But here's a better definition. Theodicy is why a good God allows evil in the world. Why is the existence of evil okay if God is loving and kind? Now, I don't need to work very hard to convince you that we have evil in our world. Many of you right now are suffering. Many of you have been hurt. Many of you understand the depth of the evil that we grapple with in our world. But God allows it because it glorifies Him. But before we can take that pathway, we must start with a fundamental truth. And we we have to understand the depravity of man. Evil exists and it's pervasive. You know, I always hear people talk about the, you know, humans are basically good. No. Humans are depraved in the need of the gospel. And so we are in a world that is full of evil. It is a fact. It's a turbulent place. It's a sorrowful place, and it's a high-risk place to live. We just had all these shootings. We had a shooting in Atlanta, Boulder, Colorado, Texas. All of this is mind-boggling and difficult to grapple with. Even Minneapolis is like a war zone. In 2020, Minneapolis recorded 84 homicides, which is second only in its history to 1995 when it recorded 97 and earned the grim nickname Murderapolis. And so we're not removed from this kind of evil. But evil also takes the form of moral shifts that are driving us further and further away from God. And we all feel this tension, don't we, as believers, wondering where this is all going to lead. A friend of mine went online to buy running shoes, of all things, and the last question in a survey that he agreed to fill out was this. It asked him if he was agender, female, gender fluid, gender queer, intersex, male, which he did check, non-binary, questioning or unsure, transfeminine, transmasculine, transgender, or other. And I wonder, where's the other? Now, I don't mention this in any way to disparage the people that are on journeys that have taken them there. God loves them. We are to love them to Christ. But what that does point out is how far we have drifted and what evil in the world has done and what Satan is up to. So whether it's violence or it's this war against God's creation of male and female and against his image in creation... All of this evidence points to the existence of evil, and it's a problem. And the Bible doesn't ignore it. The Bible tells us that evil is for real. In Romans 12, 9, hate what is evil. 
cling to what is good. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from every form of evil. So scripture, in just those three passages alone, is very clear in the fact that we are dealing with very real evil that is pervasive in our world. But not all evil looks the same. There is natural evil. There there are catastrophes. There are natural disasters. There's a virus. That's all a part of natural evil. There's moral evil, which I just talked about. There There are the forces of evil in heavenly places that right now are attacking, trying to trip you up, trying to drive you away from your creator. This is all evil that we must deal with, and it's pervasive. But here's the good news. And thankfully, God also exists, and he is sovereign. God also exists, and he is sovereign. And now we're starting down that pathway from the existence of evil to the glory of God. So if you have your Bible with you, if you have a phone or if you have a tablet, please turn to Genesis 50, beginning in verse 18. Genesis 50, 18. And this is the last section of the story of Joseph. And it's, it's really poignant because what God is doing here in this story is he's making Israel into a great nation. He's got a plan. He's working on his plan. And so we have this story of Joseph. And Joseph has this dream. And the story revolves around this dream that one day he would rule over his family and his family would bow to him. And he unwisely probably goes to his brothers and tells them all about his dreams. His brothers weren't pleased. They got jealous. And so they, they went after him. They tried to kill him. But God kept Joseph alive because God had a plan. He was sold to slave traders. He was falsely accused of rape. He was put in prison. He was forgotten in prison. But God was working behind the scenes the whole time. God never forgot about Joseph. In fact, God ended up putting Joseph in second in command of the greatest nation on earth, Egypt, and in a position where he could save his family. And his family is the very beginning of the nation of Israel. And there was a huge famine in the land, and there was only one place to go buy food, Egypt, under the reign of Joseph, because Joseph was wise enough to put food aside. So here comes his family And they come to his feet, and here's what happened. Beginning in verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. And they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So 
we can see that God is using evil in this story. All of the sin, all of the deceit, all of the murderous intent of his brothers. And it's very real evil, but God is painting his own story. He's implicitly behind the scenes painting his own story. And we can see that God is sovereignly using all of this evil for his glory. But you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And what the narrator does in the story is he puts the dream in the center of it. And so you start at the beginning of the story, and Joseph has this outrageous dream that I'm going to rule over all of you. And here's the end of the story, and guess what? Joseph is ruling over his family. But in order to get there, there was real evil. Terrible things were done. But yet God was working for good. And so if God is good, why does he allow evil? He allows it to glorify himself. And as we move toward this understanding, we understand now that evil does exist, but God is sovereign over it, as he was here in the story of Joseph, saving Israel so they could go to Egypt and thrive and multiply and become a great nation. So we've taken a few baby steps from the existence of evil now toward the glory of God, but it's really not very satisfying. At least for me, it wasn't very satisfying. It still doesn't help me understand how God could let evil go on. Why doesn't he stop it? And given the fact that he claims to be a loving God, why is he doing this to his people? And now we're really to the crux of the matter. We have very difficult questions in front of us. Does God cause evil or does he allow evil? Is God caught off guard by evil? Is evil outside of the perfect plan of God? And at this point, it would be very easy just to take God off the hook. Try to find a way to skirt scripture or skirt truth and, and not paint God in a bad light. The problem is, God's very comfortable with himself. And scripture paints a very clear pathway toward his glory because he is sovereign and he allows evil to be a part of the world. And the truth is, if God is truly sovereign, he must will evil to exists. It is the only intellectually honest argument. That's the only honest argument you can come to if you believe in the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is such that there couldn't be evil in the world without his permission. If there were things happening outside of his control, then he's not sovereign. And we can't have it both ways. And the sovereignty of God is a part of Scripture, it is a truth of Scripture, and it cannot be denied. And here are just a few passages to back that up. Exodus 4.11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not the Lord? Proverbs 16.33. And I often come to this verse as I go through Proverbs each day and I circle it every time and write God's sovereignty. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
That's sovereignty. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's God's sovereignty. And then finally, Isaiah 46, I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's the sovereignty of God. And Scripture is all over it. Now, here's another quote from a theologian and pastor that I really like, and I agree with it. Scripture tells us, this is John MacArthur, Scripture tells us that he is one God in three persons and is absolutely sovereign. He is in charge of everything and controls everything. He is governing history in every minute detail. God is in charge of every molecule, and that should give you hope. Because if God isn't sovereign, then we really have no hope. At the same time, if God is really sovereign, the Bible says he is, but we say that he doesn't permit evil, yet evil is still in the world, then we have a diminished God. Because God then is really not sovereign. He's really not in control. And there are particular theological systems, like process theology or open theism, that try to take the responsibility away from God and simply put, act like God is surprised, doesn't know the future. Some of these events are outside of him. But that's not the God of the Bible at all. God is absolutely and completely sovereign. And if he is sovereign, then he must will evil to exist. And this is where we take a large step now from evil to the glory of God. Because God doesn't need anyone to make excuses for him. What is, is what he's purposed. And he preordained the existence of evil in order to bring about his redemptive plan. We see that in the story of Joseph. We see it all through Scripture. But here's a point that is really important that you must understand because it's vital to our understanding of God that God cannot be the author of sin. He cannot be the author of evil because God is holy and righteous. There's a wonderful document called the Westminster Confession of Faith that was drawn up by some Puritans back in the 1640s. And here's just a portion of it. It's a wonderful document for systematic theology used by churches all over the world. God foreknows and foreordains everything, including evil. Nevertheless, he is not the author of sin. Now, it's it's difficult to, to wrap our minds around this because it seems like the two go together. But let me, here's an analogy that might help you. Let's say in my theoretical world, You don't always want to be in my theoretical world, by the way. It can be scary in there. But let's say that you have COVID-19. And I invite you into my home. And you are a risk. You you could get my whole family sick, but but I invite you in. I am 
ordaining that you're in my home. I am choosing you to be in my home. I am willing you to be in my home. But I did not give you COVID-19. And that's the way it is with God. God ordains the existence of evil. He permits the existence of evil. But he did not create evil. That belongs at the feet of the enemy. But it's important that we understand this because God is good, righteous, and he is holy. And everything exists for his purposes. He is always working out his purposes. Here's more scripture that is somewhat shocking about God's extensive power. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. God is working. In Isaiah 45, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. In Amos 3.6, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Wow, the Bible paints the picture of a pretty powerful God who is sovereignly about his purposes and nothing is going to stop his purposes. And the thing I love about this is God does not deflect responsibility away from himself for the way the world is. And that's important for us to understand because we don't have to make excuses for him. We don't have to apologize for him. We don't have to minimize him. We, we, we quibble about words. You know, did he allow? Did he cause? What should we say? It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, if we believe that God is sovereign, the way the world is right now lands directly at his feet. And the beautiful thing about God's sovereignty is that we can be okay with that because he knows good. So let's take stock in where we are now in this road that leads from the existence of evil to the glory of God. Because that's why God allows evil in the world, to to glorify himself. So I'd say we're about halfway now. We've established the fact that evil is real, that God is sovereign, that he has a plan. But there's still questions in my mind. Why evil? What is evil? The plan, I understand that he wants to glorify himself, but, but what's, what's the plan in that? And what is God accomplishing through all these forces of darkness? Well, here's the simple answer, and we're going to end up at the cross pretty much through this whole series. The existence of evil allowed for Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. The existence of evil allowed Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. God allowed the world to be subjected to the futility of sin, in order that he could glorify himself. Not only now is God gaining victory over the forces of darkness and the forces of hell and the forces of death, but he subjected his son to the very evil that we're talking about so that he could have evil done to him because that's called crucifixion. And that's where he atoned for sin. And that's where everything changed. You see this in Romans 5, 8, 
that God even worked within sin. But God shows his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross and died in the midst of our sin, in the midst of this evil. And here's a wonderful quote from John Piper that I really like a lot that pounds it home. The reason there is terror is so that Christ could be terrorized. The reason there is trouble is so that Christ could be troubled. The reason there is pain is so that Christ could feel pain. This is the world God prepared for the suffering and death of his son. This is the world where God made the greatest display of his love in the suffering of his son. The world had to be, had to be evil in order for evil to be done to the Son of God, so that God's redemptive plan could display itself on the cross. And so, here's the point. The atoning death of Jesus displays God's glory. It is his shining moment, if you want to use the final four. It is God's moment where the universe changed forever. And though some of these concepts are difficult to to understand, We can understand that God's purposes for evil take the randomness out of the events that we experience. Because everything does seem random. Everything seems discouraging. Everything seems dark. And all the things that that you experience, violence, racism, death, sickness, church splits, all of that. Well, what's really happening is, is that provides a perfect draft backdrop in which God can use to glorify himself and the cross is shining in the universe because that's where Jesus died because of this evil world and the glory of God is the point and the Psalms are all over this I love reading the Psalms I read a Psalm and Proverbs every morning the Lord reigns he is robed in majesty the Lord is robed he has put on strength as his belt yes the world is established it shall never be moved Psalm 104.1, bless the Lord, O my soul, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Psalm 145.5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The point really is God's glory. And so, We've gotten all the way to our destination now because we know that evil exists. And it is. It's awful. It's discouraging. It's painful. You know, I've, I've lost a son to murder. I understand evil. It's, it's devastating. And you've, got, and you've got stories to tell. Melinda on the video had stories to tell. But thankfully, God exists now. He is sovereign now. He is working his best plan out now. And sometimes we're guilty as Christians. You know what? This world's terrible, but I'm going to heaven. So I'm just going just to be terrible in the world. How you doing? Well, you know, same old, same old. Okay, God is working now. And so we can put our trust in that. And he ordained and permits all of these things that happened so his own son could suffer and die on the cross as a result of sin. To put it very simply, he had to create a world of suffering so his son could suffer. 
And that's when his glory shined because that's when his plan of redemption came to fruition. That, that's when the Joseph story, that's where it was headed. And so theodicy asks the question, how can a good God allow evil? And the answer is to glorify himself, to lead you to the joy of praising him, of spending time with him, of purposely living for him, trusting in his sovereign works. You don't have to lay awake at night wondering, am I alone? Are these events random? Am I the only one? No, because God is sovereign. And he glorifies himself so that you can lead a new life and eternal life. What a God we serve. How does a good God allow evil to be in the world? It's for his glory. And like Joseph said to his brother, hey, you met evil against me. And that was real evil. You tried to kill him. But God meant it for good. God is always working for your good. And I know there, there, there are those of you who just have broken hearts. You've been sliced up inside. You're tired. You're anxious. You're weary of your children that are meandering away from God and praying and wondering where the next paycheck is going to come from. And I want you to know that the fact that God is sovereign is your hope. He's working. He's good. And so I hope that you can find joy in that truth today. Let me pray. God, we come to you and we are amazed by your power and your goodness. And the beautiful thing, God, is that we have just scratched the surface of Scripture. I could have, I could have stood all day here and just reeled them off because the Bible points to your glory. It points to the redemptive plan. Old Testament points to the cross. New Testament is the radical effect after the cross. And so we thank you for that plan. We thank you that you are still at work. And God, I pray for those that are discouraged this morning, that are hopeless, that are tired, that are weary, that are angry, that feel alone. Would you minister to their hearts and minds and help them to remember that, yeah, Satan means evil for his purposes, but God is turning it all for good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.